This, 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 this is mythical. This Ear Biscuit is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website. E? Is the E silent on the end website? Yes. Or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, go to squarespace.com and use our offer code RNDL. That's R A N D L. Okay, you need a website. You need to use Squarespace. It's, you know, you know the drill. It's, they make it easy. And listen, how much do you think it costs? Uh, I can say $1,000 a month. <laughs> $8 a month. Oh, it's a lot it lower than I thought. Includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. So uh, the only problem I see is not the price. That, that's the solution, $8 a month. The problem is coming up with a domain name. So, I mean, that's something that, that's not easy. But that's the point. Everybody has a website, and you need to get on this train. Well, the domain uh, name thing is is quite a chore. I remember one time we started trying to come up with uh, some way to come up with a website that would point to retinlink.com because we thought that when we said retinlink.com, people wouldn't know how to spell ret, like if we were on the radio or whatever, like that would ever happen. It happened a couple of times. So we came up with internetpeanutbutter.com, which I think still works. Oh, yeah, it does. But that, if that's any indication of how hard it is to come up with a domain name, that's the thing that you've got to do. Okay? Don't delay. Yeah, go ahead and yeah, do so it. Just go ahead and reserve that. But you get to do it for free, and then $8 a month, that's like uh, a latte and a half, depending on the size that you get and where you get the latte from. Are you, you're doing like a conversion? Doing, yeah, coffee conversion. Like, like the charity? Like, this is not a charity. Like, for the cost of a latte and a half, you can... Com- you can contribute to if, a charity. Hey, if you want to use that voice to get people to sign up for Squarespace, I don't care. Start a trial with no credit card required. You can make a charity website. And start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, charitywebsite.com. Make sure, that's, I'm sure that's taken. Don't get their <laughs> hopes up. Make sure to use your offer code R&L, that's R-A-N-D-L, to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for Ear Biscuits. I really don't like it when you talk like that. Kind of makes me feel uncomfortable it, it but you want to give to charity yeah i do but i want them to sign up for squarespace so they can show their support of ear biscuits let's make another ear biscuit welcome to ear biscuits i'm Rhett, and i'm link it's time for another conversation with someone interesting from the internet this week that person's michael gallagher the man behind the youtube channel totally sketch He's currently one of the most sought-after directors on YouTube. Plus, he made waves as the first YouTuber to score a theatrical release of his debut feature-length film, Smiley. We discussed uh, his beginning a directing career at the age of 14 by convincing the actors that he was 30. Uh, We also talk about how he finds the edge of what's acceptable for content on YouTube and how his film Smiley led to death threats for him and his friends and family. Now, it's interesting because, you know, The Smiley is a, obviously a horror film. and It's not called The Smiley. It's just called Smiley. This, this film, okay. Smiley, is, uh, is a horror film. And you come right out and tell Michael in our talk with him that you have no plans on seeing it because you don't like horror films. Yeah, the trailer was scary enough to convince me that this is not my cup of tea. And I, I you know, I think we've established this, uh, you know, in our previous Ear Biscuit discussion, we established that your mom indoctrinated you to appreciate horror films 
as a shared experience at a young age. I mean, we we talked about well, it in detail. I, I think that might be a little bit of a uh, misconception. Okay. Uh, I, well, but you, I will say that you tried to indoctrinate me. My mom likes horror movies because of this. Her personality type is similar in the in that way, for, and I like them for the same reason. She okay. didn't. My brother didn't watch them. Oh, with us, it's me and her. Mm. Uh, I, I think he, he's he, he'll watch a horror movie, but yeah. So it was just something that it's the same thing. And interestingly enough, I usually describe it like uh, a thrill ride. You know, I like to ride roller coasters uh, at an amusement park. You like to ride roller coasters at an amusement park. There, now, I'll tell you the reason I like to ride a roller coaster is because my what is happening to my body is telling my mind that I am going to die. My mind believes that you, there's no way a human can be thrown in these positions, have these G-forces uh, put onto their body without them being in imminent danger, right? And so, and then you, but you know, you know what? I'm not going to die. Maybe somebody died one time on Space Mountain, but I'm not going to die. So I get the same exact sensation when I watch a horror movie. I think I could be the one being killed now. I might be about to die, but I know that I'm not really going to. So it's just, I enjoy it in the exact same way. So I want to know what is the difference? I, I, I do enjoy roller coasters. I, don't, I didn't know that it was like a fear of death, but maybe it is. It's just being scared. It's not that I don't like being scared. It's just I just think it's demented and gross, and it get, it just puts nasty thoughts into my mind. That all right? So that's what I mean by scary, as in like nasty and demented. But okay, so <laughs> if right now that door busted open and a black bear, well, no, it's a grizzly bear, one that could actually do some damage. Okay. came in here and all of a sudden we were like oh crap and we ran out this door and then we ran for like 200 yards there's this huge bear chased us and then we got up on top of a house and got away from him somehow i'd be like this is awesome exactly right you yeah. almost died but you didn't die i'm but saying if the bear was like a demon a, bear a demon bear and his entrails were hanging out <laughs> and he was like murdering people and like that just makes it better in like a gross way. I'd be like, "Ooh, that bear is gross, man." But okay, now I don't want to see this bear. We also talked uh, on a previous year biscuit about how uh, on my birthday uh, in 2013 that my what I wanted to do for my birthday party was have yeah my, last October my guy friends uh, come to the studio and watch in this room actually because there's no windows and it's kind of soundproof. We set up the. We set up everything. To watch The Conjuring, which is, you know, a lot of people consider to be one of the scariest movies of all time. Uh, definitely the scariest movie I've ever seen, because I don't watch a lot of scary movies, because you don't like to watch them, my wife doesn't like to watch them. So, but you can't, I looked at you while we were watching that, and you just, you were scared out of your mind. So was I. It's not that I'm not scared. You seemed like you were having the, a great time, though. Well, there, it wasn't. I guess it was a little demented, or maybe it got a lot demented, but it didn't get gross. It wasn't gory. Okay, you don't like gore. I I don't like gore so that's okay. either. So that helped a little bit, but for days leading up to it, I made up my mind, I'm going to support you in your birthday wish, and I'm going to be here for you, and I'm, I psyched myself up to everything you're talking about. I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to have a good time. I'm not going to hate this. I'm going to enjoy it, and I did, and I actually felt even better because our friend Tony who was also here, he was worse off than, than I was. And uh, in terms of hating these type of movies. He put his earbuds in. Well, he goes upstairs 
and he's like leaving during the movie and stuff like that. And he, he comes down and he hasn't put in earbuds. He's borrowed the headphones off of your desk. Yeah. And he's wearing, he's watching the movie to support you in your desire to have fun in this way on your but birthday. But he's listening to iTunes. He's listening to happy music. Yeah, and, and, and kind of looking at the screen with one eye. Like, that's not, <laughs> if you're listening to like, uh, you know, like Beyonce, it's not going to be that scary while you're watching this movie. But okay, but this, and that this, made me feel better. But this is so. I mean, I really, my, I myself. really appreciated it because you didn't punk out. Tony punked out. You didn't punk out. But and I and I agree. I, I don't. And I did have fun. I don't. I haven't seen the Saw series. I don't. I don't care about that kind of stuff. Yeah. You said demented and gross. Yeah. I, I like The Ring. I like The Conjuring. I like these movies that have this psychological element. thriller, uh, like supernatural, supernatural, more supernatural. It's totally crazy, freak you out, right? But this is this is my thing. This is what I want to say to you that I think that this is like spicy food, and and okay. and. and but you have in, in this past year or so, you, you're like, yeah, I kind of, I, I kind of get it. You'll eat something spicy, but I kind of get why this is good. I think that you could, we could be like horror movie going buddies. You know, we could just like, hey, hey, man, let's go, let's go watch a horror movie. Just horror. the two of, just the two First of us. First, you got to learn how to say the horror. word horror, horror, horror. <laughs> let's go watch a horror movie. And and this could be like a shared experience because <laughs> I, I I enjoy them so much. Or maybe we could just get somebody to come in here and threaten us, like weekly. Well, because it would you, be a less of a time commitment. You know, just like an a, actor. Get as, an actor with a mask. Well, if it's a psychological supernatural threat, I'm okay with that. But if it's like a a Jason Smiley kind of threat, okay. like that kind of thing, well, I let's don't want get that. like a demon possessed little girl to come in once a week, scare the living crap out of us. Like every Friday at four o'clock, she's gonna. This little girl's gonna come can in. Can we start with? She's a, gonna float in. Can we start with a demon possessed, like grown woman? <laughs> uh, we need to work down to a little girl because <laughs> the younger they get, this creep, the, the more scary oh, it is. Oh, wow, mm, that's, I can't. That's demon dimension. baby is as bad as it gets. Has that movie been made? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was that viral video oh, too. Yeah. The baby that comes, yeah, devil baby or something like that. I'm not no, seeing double that. Double demon baby. I don't know what it was. <laughs> Okay, so uh, that's what Michael has done. He has he has he's made a movie. Uh, I mean, it's back in 2012, and um, you know it's been out. But he's he's done this as a YouTuber. Yeah, he actually pulled it off. He made a horror movie, and you know he's his YouTube channel continues to go strong. Totally sketch has over one million subscribers, over 400 million. Views. He also does a lot of other directing for other people at Reggie Watts. He directed Reggie Watts' Reg Rolled video, also directed Joey Graceffa's dramatic series that came out late last year, Storytellers, among many others. And he's worked with Shane Dawson, Jenna Marbles, Toby Turner, Cassim G, to name a few. Uh, le- but let's get into it. All right, here's our Ear Biscuit with Michael Gallagher. Okay, so you, you just watched Wolf of Wall Street, so you enjoyed that, but I know you're a fan of Dumb and Dumber. Are you excited about Dumb and Dumber 2? I have to say, I'm so excited that I'm sort of 
I'm saying I'm not so sure if it's going to be good because I don't want to get my expectations so skyrocketing high that when I see the film, it can't possibly live up to those expectations because I really want to enjoy the movie. Well, what kind of place is Dumb and Dumber holding your heart? I mean, is it a special locale in there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen it like uh, probably a hundred times. I mean, it's one of those movies that my parents were really into comedy. So growing up, they would like all our VHS tapes were uh, comedies. You know, like Michael Keaton movies, and, okay. you know, Jim Carrey, like The Mask, Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura, even the sequel, uh, Ace Ventura 2, uh, where he's in Africa. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's incredible. And he does this whole Monopoly guy bit. It's, uh, I, I recommend you check it out if you haven't seen it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Oh, but yeah. You, but you're not a Jim Carrey fan. You're a Dumb and Dumber fan. No, it's I'm that both, movie. I'm both. But yeah, where, where do you guys get Dumb and Dumber from? Where, where did you research we, into my past? Is it true? We, is we, it true? We did you call my mom? <laughs> Maybe. Is it true or not? Yeah, no, it is okay. true. I love we have minions. Yeah, we yeah, have yeah. minions. Huh. Interesting, interesting, interesting. <laughs> we don't have minions. <laughs> we just have time. The person who helped us find out that information is listening, and we just called her a minion. I don't think that's going to go over <laughs> that's well. That's true. She's the one that just took a picture of us. She's go. lovely. Yeah. <laughs> and she made this really lovely papaya tea. She Which did. tastes exactly like Jack biting into trade. a papaya. <laughs> so, why Dumb and Dumber, though, specifically? I mean, it, sure, it's a great movie, but wh- why latch onto that one? I think there's just something about, like, joyous, like, s- dumb, th- just going to the baseline of being so dumb that, I don't know, like, everything's numb, like, that's just how reality is. There's something about that level where they're just, everything they're saying, like, they don't even realize that the next thing they're saying doesn't make sense to the last thing. Like, they're constantly contradicting themselves. There's something so... When you're that dumb, it's just... It's bliss. It's perfect. So... And no film has ever captured it since, I don't think. Well, you know, the interesting thing about Jeff Daniels and Jim Carrey, too, is that I was just looking at an article about the movie, and you you made this observation. Jim Carrey hasn't aged well. Jeff Daniels looks exactly the same. Like, like, I mean, his hair's a little bit different, but I'm, I'm, uh, I think it's going to look like, uh, like a father and son. That's what I'm worried about. I really think it's going to come across like a father and son because Jim Carrey is, I think Jeff Daniels has done a little injections or something. Oh, you think to, so? To maintain the smoothness. Well, whoever his doctor is, is good because <laughs> yeah, right. he does not look like Meg Ryan current day. If you've seen Meg Ooh, Ryan, yeah. who's, uh, she's got puffy lips. She's, yeah, yeah. uh, really? they're marshmallows. They're big. But it's been overdone. Yeah, a little bit. But uh, no, yeah, he looks like a baby. <laughs> He's smooth as a baby. <laughs> I don't know what a secret is. So do you channel any of that inspiration into totally sketch? Like, is there a direct connection there? Well, it's funny because I think it's it's not just Dumb and Dumber, actually. It's the, like the Fairley Brothers early movies. Okay. I think I really dug. I think those movies are, uh, I mean, some of the best, like between you know Kingpin, Dumb and Dumber, and Something About Mary. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like the Holy Trinity. Those are the best uh, of their comedies, I think. But uh, I don't know. They just they they sort of took what like the Zucker brothers did, like the airplane, like that kind of mm-hmm. you know sporadic, like so many jokes, like joke a minute thing. And then they also gave it heart, and they, you actually cared. So by the end of the movie, you were still paying attention. You wanted to know how it ended, and, and there was a little bit of suspense. So I think that there's something about that kind of combination of just you know kind of going for it, and then it's also that sort of inappropriate humor that like we're crossing the line, we're going into a zone where, you know, you almost make the audience feel a little uncomfortable for a minute and okay. then you get to the joke. I think there's something about that that was really exciting to me because I liked being, a, like, I was very young when I saw a lot of these movies that I probably shouldn't have. Uh-huh. Uh, and so there was something, like, I think the fear of, 
oh, are my parents going to like stop playing the tape or at some point? Or are they going to say, I got to leave the room or close my eyes? There's something okay. really exciting about that. Because you were I, watching like, them with your parents. I, yeah, I had to watch it with my parents. And so my parents like, were pretty cool. I don't cool. think I should be watching this right now. Right. And then it's like, but we're still watching it. So let's <laughs> yes. keep it going, guys. <laughs> Come gonna, on. I'm not going to make eye contact with the parents right now. Yeah, it's like when you're watching, you know, there's so, I, I saw there's something about Mary in the theater with my parents. And, you know, I'm 25 now. So when that movie came out, how old was I? I was less, I was like 13, 12, 13. Uh-huh. Okay. And it was a little too young for me to see that movie. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's, I don't want to say all the things that are in that movie, but they're very the inappropriate. Hair gel scene. There's a hair gel scene. Uh, and, you know, we didn't leave. Let me just say that. We did not leave the theater. I saw the entire film. And I saw it in a theater where the house was packed and everyone was roaring with laughter. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, the room was shaking. It was that, like, it was one of the few times I've seen a movie where everyone is laughing at every joke and it's just, like, so loud you're not even hearing the next line. So I think something about that, like, those early experiences, they made me, you know, understand the power of comedy. And, and it's interesting because I, I can... I guess I can imagine like a younger kid looking at your channel and maybe having that same kind of experience now. It's like, I'm going to click on this video, interactive sex. It's got a hundred million views. It must be good. Hope mom doesn't walk in. Yeah, they got the butterflies. They got their door that they have to keep open. They've got their one eye on the door and then they got one eye on the video. (laughs) So at, at or some, they're watching it with their parents, baby, on their lap. That would be weird. <laughs> Dep- hey, mom, check this out. Yeah, d- different different strokes for different folks. There you go. No pun intended. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I have to imagine there's some calculation and kind of working the whole internet video thing in your favor with the sexual subject matter and just kind of flirting with, okay, what's going to be beyond this click kind of a thing for you? Yeah, I think uh, I, you know, I think when you you kind of push the envelope with sensors, and YouTube doesn't really have like there's no you know MPAA or there's no like real mm-hmm. sensor board. You just sort of have to like it's, it's sort of the buddy system, or, like the, yeah. <laughs> the the Boy Scout system of we're gonna put something out here and it might get flagged, it might not. It's sort of you know communal. Uh, you never know what's gonna go down, and so I kind of like the idea of toying with that invisible line. And sometimes I've crossed it for sure. And then other times I've been right up to it. And I think that, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people, you know, make things that are very safe and, you know, uh, and that's fine. But I, I, I like, you know, kind of putting the edge in there. So that way you never know what you're going to see next. There's and, a, sort of been, a, a, a tension to it. Have you been flagged? Have you been oh, taken down? Yes. <laughs> a million times. No, really? I, no, not a million times. I, you know, I probably have like, you know. 10 flagged videos or something out of 200. When you're flagged, 10 out of 200 videos, they're taken down automatically unless you can prove they should go back up. Right. And so most of them have gotten proven that you should go back up. Like like what? What would be taken down that then you can say, well, this is how I dance this line. Give Um, me a specific example. Well, you know, it's it's weird because YouTube isn't that... Like they're not very vocal. Like I don't mm-hmm. have like a guy at YouTube that I call and he's my guy. You know, like you know. When Joe. a video gets flagged, YouTube doesn't call you. I don't get a call. No, right. I, I just sort of happens. Like I just see that nobody can watch it anymore. I'm like oh no, what, what's going on? What happened? What did I do? And then uh, so then I have to go and and kind of figure it out. And, uh, and but then, like what was the video that got flagged and. W- Walk me through with a specific example, kind of. I did this one video called uh, I think it's like the low cut shirt 
I think that's what it's called, yeah. the low-cut shirt. Are you familiar with the... the, uh, the... I've seen the thumbnail. <laughs> <laughs> the thumbnail kind of yes. caught my eye. His yeah. mom doesn't uh, let him collect uh, those I got thumbnails. You, I got you. I see what's <laughs> happening. Uh, yeah, no, so that video, you know, it's basically about a girl who wears an extremely low-cut shirt out on a dinner date. And the guy, as being a guy takes a peek at her cleavage. And while sure. while he's down there looking, the the sound gets muffled and he's just sort of like <laughs> focused in on it. And then all of a sudden she says something and she's like, you know, Peter, did you hear what I just said? And he's like, yeah, of course. And then she pulls out a gun and she's like, did you really? Because now you have to answer. And then it becomes interactive where he has to guess what she just said. And we as an audience have no idea what she just said. So it's a really ridiculous video. And it got flagged just because I think because of the boobage because there was a high level of boob boob activity but then how did you get it unflagged if you didn't have a YouTube guy well the way things get flagged from my understanding as you know a civilian that it's a certain percentage if it's a high percentage of people who are watching your video flag it doesn't matter if it's you know just like, you know, your your nephew playing on some steps or, you know, a girl like taking off her clothes, doesn't matter what it is. If like enough percentage, if that, I don't know if it's 10% or 15%. It's automated. It's automated. Yeah. So if, if, if your video just goes out and maybe a few hundred people have seen it or a thousand people have seen it and a high number of them have clicked flag, mm. then it could go down. But so how I did it come back mm. up? That's what happened. So I had to email them. It took a day or so. And then they realized like, oh, you know, he didn't break any rules. And, and it was when it goes up, do, is it then you have to sign in? Because I, cause I yes, noticed that yeah. on a few of your videos, you have to sign in. You have to verify your age. There's a few of them that, yeah, like you can, you can still have it up once it's been flagged, but you have to go through like an age gate thing and I don't think there's ads on them or anything like that. So it's like a weird part of YouTube where it's and those like, are the ones it's that like been, the 18 and older club. Like they've been flagged you your and ID. then brought back up. That's how the sign-in thing happens? No, no. So some of them, are you guys, you guys never had a video flagged, I'm guessing, ever. Uh, actually, yes. You have? Um, we did. We, we had, it's actually an interesting story because it was the video that I think is partially responsible for our popularity on YouTube initially. Oh, you mean the pornographic one? <laughs> we, a, I don't it remember. Was a, really, a, guys. A, a, video, a, a video of my son. Oh. A video of my son who was three years old at the time. He was crying about uh, a, a NC State, UNC game. That's where we're from, North Carolina. And my wife and I filmed our son and we put it on because our personal he was, channel. he was distraught about the Wolfpack losing to the Tar Heels. Yeah, right. And he was just so <laughs> distraught. And it was hilarious. But he just so happened to be in his underoos. Yeah, he was, so he was just a three-year-old in his, like, tidy whities really? or whatever. And that got flagged? It, well, it got taken down twice on my personal channel, which I don't have anymore. Whoa. And then I was like, I'm and putting then, this up on our no, no, channel. No. And then YouTube contacted us and said, contacted you and said, we want to feature this video on the homepage because everyone's talking about it. It's hilarious, but it's but it's been taken down. <laughs> it's like, well, we didn't take it down, is what you said. And so you explained it to them, and then you re-uploaded it, and we had a conversation. Should we we should re-upload it to the Rhett and Link channel because we were just trying to get started. This oh, and, was on his personal and channel. And we put, like a, we put a watermark, a rhettandlink.com watermark in the video. Yeah. Like we went all the way. We were like, let's take advantage of this thing. If YouTube's going to feature it. So it went from being flagged and taken down to being featured by YouTube who asked to have it put back up. That's incredible. 
So that just goes to show you the state of YouTube at the time. So a slight, that's an, under, a that's an underdog different. story. That's yeah. like a, an inspiring film that <laughs> yeah, should yeah, be right. made. So a slightly different uh, approach, but yeah, our content's different. So we haven't been we we haven't experienced the uh, the flagging. Gotcha. Yeah, we don't, we don't typically shoot kids in their underwear and put it on our channel. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We don't, we do don't make here. a habit of that. Oh, good. That's good. I, pr- I appreciate that <laughs> yeah, as an yeah. American. Right. Thank you. But I mean, okay. So yeah. So we've worked with some naked Russian men. Mm. I've been supposedly naked. But I think that's a, there's a little bit of a contrast there because if, if somebody's going to be naked in, in one of our videos, there's a good chance that it's going to be one of us. You made kind of a decision early on to be to say, you know what, uh, I'm going to approach this YouTube thing a little bit differently than everyone else was approaching it. You, you are going to be the creative force behind it, but not necessarily be the face of it. Right. So how did that happen? Yeah, I think I wanted, well, my initial idea was to do try and do like an SNL type show where it was, you know. I could just create it and, you know, like Lauren Michaels comes out every once in a while at SNL. You know, he's the big guy behind yeah. it. But, uh, you know, he'll do some funny, like, stuff as himself. But he doesn't really play characters. He's not really an actor. And he doesn't pretend to be either. Yeah. But he just likes funny people and, you know, puts them together and kind of keeps that show going. He's more a producer-director guy. And uh, so I thought, oh, like I could do that on YouTube in a small sort of way. I could do one a week, two a week, uh, you know, sketches. And, you know, I could pay for them myself and get – funny actors and things and and I just always approached everything I did as a writer, director, producer because that's always what I wanted to do but you know making a feature film it costs so much money and so much time and so many people and great script and so there were so many things in the way of blocking for me to make feature films at that time because when I started I think I was 19 or 20 uh, or no I was was 20 yeah I was 20 so where was the uh, filmmaker spark ignited (laughs) when did that happen I think what happened was uh I think at an early age, my parents like loved movies, loved comedies, mm-hmm. and I got to see them all. Like that was the communal thing. Like we'd always, you know, my parents both worked, and so when when we did spend time together at nights, weekends, and like they were great parents, uh, we would watch movies. We would go to movies. You know, we'd see comedy shows. Like I remember seeing Rodney Dangerfield when I was like ten years old. Really? Like stuff that like, whoa, like why am I like I knew it was something interesting going on. Like I, I knew most kids weren't doing that because I would like my parents would, you know, like to go see comedy shows. Like in San Diego we had a lot of good comics come through or okay. you know, a couple times uh, throughout my youth we went to like Vegas and being a kid in Vegas you can't do anything. Except at night somehow they got me into like comedy shows or concerts or whatever the cool stuff that you could do. And so I got to see George Carlin before he died when I was, I don't know, 12. And it's just like, and then I would go back to school and be like, yeah, so George Carlin over the weekend. No kid, 12 year old, <laughs> no, knew really who were. George Carlin was. And right. yeah. I was just like this weird kid. And then so I, I actually had older friends. And when I had those older friends at a young age, I could then talk to them about movies and comics and, you know, what kind of things that were interesting to me. And they exposed me to more, you know, funny people and, you know, like, oh, you got to listen to this. Or like, oh, do you know who Steve Martin is? Like, oh, not, oh just, wow. not just from these movies, but like go listen to his old comedy specials and, you know, read this book. And it was just like, there's a lot of that kind of information and education that I got, not from school, but from just being interested in films and comedy that helped me, you know, just always be interested. Mm. So from a very young age, I was always kind of I, know, I was like this weird only child who was, you know, listening to comedy albums and yeah, it's interesting about that you're, I mean, I, I mean, I, most everyone's into some form of entertainment, but to have parents, real estate agent parents, who seem to be both passionate about comedy, mm-hmm. it seems to be very interesting. Yeah, you know, those real estates, they're horrible senses of humor. <laughs> it's not, it's not that. It's just that I don't know that I've 
they weren't like Glen Gary, Glen Ross <laughs> real estate agents. You know, they weren't like cutthroat, bloody, you know, whatever. They were, you know, but nice, I, I don't nice think people. That, well, I just don't they think. They didn't I've, have bus bench, you know, ads. They were like, they were, they were like the nice real estate agents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think but real estate I'm agents just saying, get a weird rap. I don't, I don't think that, I just don't think that I've ever met a couple that like, oh, their thing is comedy. Yeah. I don't They're think, really into comedy. <laughs> That's cool. And they kind of trained you up into that. I mean, for you to be able to say, you saw mm. the greats who are dead. Yeah. And at the age of like 11 or 12, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But that takes kind of a, a special sensibility from your parents that that must have been kind of a thing for them. They were always the audience. They were always like the quintessential audience. So I don't know that it was so much that they were like, they weren't like comedy snobs. They're not like, hmm. oh, this kind of comedy is better than this kind. And I, <laughs> you know, I only listen to George Cullen. Like, I would never like, you know, whoever, you know, they, like they like everybody. They like Jerry Seinfeld. They like Frank Caliendo. They like anyone who can make them laugh. They're not snobbish about it. No, but personality wise, were they were obviously fans of comedy, but was your household one where they were cracking jokes and you were cracking jokes? A little bit. My parents were like the most hilariously unintentional funny people right. ever. Like they would not try, but then they would acknowledge how like ridiculous something was. I didn't mean to do that, that, but it was funny. Yeah. Well, my dad was pretty hilarious. He was sort of like uh, like Joe Pesci a little bit, <laughs> like a Joe Pesci, Alec Baldwin type, you know, like <laughs> okay. he feels like an East Coast mob guy, but he's not. <laughs> he's, he's San Diego. <laughs> he has like literally no mob connections whatsoever. <laughs> but he like, I don't know, all my friends were like, is your dad in the mob? Like <laughs> he had like, he wore rings and he had like dark, like olive skin and, you know, hair slicked back and like drove a black like sedan. <laughs> like, hey, you want to buy this house? Yeah. That's, everyone, that's the best I can do. Yeah, you do want to buy this house. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, he kind of had that vibe. And then he was really clumsy. And so he, <laughs> he had that look. And then he would like spill something on him. He would always, he wore really nice like suits for real estate. And then he would always spill something on it. And he would just curse up a storm. And then it's just my mom would just laugh. And then he was just like, you know, I'm picturing like Marlon Brando meets Columbo. That's what I'm picturing. <laughs> that's not bad. That's not far <laughs> off. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty much I right. I see Columbo with a stain on his shirt. Yeah. <laughs> no, and my mom, you know, she loved comedy and yeah, she was really funny and uh, uh you know, she actually she she told me this recently when I was little, you know, like they read like, you know, Goodnight Moon and the Bernstein Bears and like certain mm-hmm. normal kid books. Uh she also read me joke books, like tons of joke books. Hmm. Like just from a young age. I think wasn't so much for me. It was more like she knew she just had to read me something so I'd go to sleep. And so after a while, you run out of books, she'd just start reading jokes. And then so it would like amuse her. Okay. <laughs> so she could like stay up to yeah. actually read me something. Because some of those kid books, it's like, you know, Mr. Bear goes to the pantry. What's in the pantry? Oh, a glass of milk. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, oh, they, I'm familiar with You're that. familiar? Oh, yeah. You got a baby. You know what's going on. But you didn't... Um want to become a comedian, you ended up wanting to become a filmmaker. So how did, it was, you know, you're watching the film, so that was your connection? Well, at first, I thought I wanted to be a, I, I, I recently figured out that I wanted to be an entertainer, is okay. really what I wanted to be. Uh, and that's still what I want to do. Um, just directing is sort of the form that I like the most, and it's the one that I'm most comfortable with, I think, out of all the different ways you can entertain somebody, from magic <laughs> to being a comedian to an actor to, you know, a novelist to anything. So the, yeah, being being a kid, I wanted to be an actor at first. I thought I did, but it was really I wanted to entertain people because I liked the idea of making people laugh and getting reaction. Like in school, I 
started telling jokes and started like trying to be funny and and all that and you know I had I had a good run as a class clown in a few classes and mm-hmm. you know it was you know we, I always had an entertaining group of friends we'd always like you know we were like into comedy growing up and so it was a lot of that but then I think the directing kind of came in when I realized that being an actor was going to be such a nightmare because so many other people want to be an actor yeah. and that path seems so narrow and so like I didn't know how to break in yeah. like, and this was this was this was at a young in high age. school? Yeah, at a young age. Okay. Because uh, my parent, when I wanted to be an actor, my parents were really supportive and they actually took me out and uh, like got me some acting classes for like kid actors. And like I went on some auditions. They would drive, drive me up to LA and I went on, I don't know, 20 auditions or something. And so I, I did, I made a noble effort as a kid to try and be an actor. But like doing that process, I would read a commercial, like I'd read the the, the sides for a chapstick commercial. And the lines for the kid would be like, my name's Billy and I love cherry chapstick because it puts it on my lips and it's mm-mm good. Cherry chapstick. And yeah. it's just like, that's those are the words. And it's like, <laughs> I can't do anything with those words, man. Like there's nothing I, there's nothing good that I could ever show you with those words. Kind of <laughs> makes me want chapstick, I mean, oh, to be honest with you. Thank you. Uh, but it was one of those things where I would, they were literally all like that. And I just started realizing like, there's no point in us doing this. I kind of like, yeah. I had a group, you know, I had a chat with my parents and it was just like, you know, if this is what acting is, this like this isn't what I thought acting is, and if this is what acting is, I don't think this is what I want to do. Like I, I want to entertain people, and uh, so then my parents started talking. Like, well, you know, you're saying what someone else wrote. Like, this is what someone else has come up with for their product or for whatever it is. You know, if you want to just entertain people, you should try and figure out ways to you know make make your own stories and make mm-hmm. your own dialogue and things. And so that started putting in my head of like, oh, you should make your own stuff. Yeah, how did that start? Uh, well, I think it started with just, you know, I got a, I got my dad's, you know, old, you know, VHS digital camera. I think that, I think we, he had that one. And then I had the high eight camera, oh, you yeah. know, we shot high eight and then I got the mini DV. That was, that was my progression. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, and, uh, basically it started with making kind of like jackass, style videos with my friends where they would, you know, put them in shopping carts and throw them down a hill and I'd be on rollerblades trying to like film them and catch, you know, funny things. And then, you know, some stuff where I would, you know, it's like, it's like all the typical little kid movies where you, you, uh, you know, have your friends dress up in suits and they wear sunglasses and you have like little orange guns and mm-hmm. you're playing like mobsters and, you know, someone's got to get the briefcase <laughs> and, uh, and save, save the lady yeah. in the, in, in the top of your parents' house. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> it's like I... really ridiculous, you know. And this is, film. this is before YouTube. Of... Oh yeah. This is, you know. This is 1999. I, mean, I, I started I started filming things, like messing around filming things, I think in fourth grade. Like I think what I learned pretty quick in school was that if I – I didn't have to do the essay. I didn't have to write a long essay or do a book report. I could actually just go film a reenactment or make my own movie mm-hmm. interpretation. So it started as just, oh, I was making things, not thinking of, oh, I'm a director. I'm like just making stuff for school projects. You're just creating. Yeah, creating. And then, and actually, the real the the real moment that I think I switched to filmmaking, and this is sounding probably so boring to anyone who's listening. It's oh, like, no. Who cares? Uh, but I basically, my parents found out about this thing, New York Film Academy, mm-hmm. which they have them all over the place now. They had one in L.A. at the time. They just started. Doing well, that's it. confusing. I know. Ooh. It's basically like a subway. They have them everywhere. Okay. Or McDonald's. 
Uh, but yeah, so New York Film Academy is basically like a franchise, like film school. They started in New York, and then the f- the next one they brought out was to L.A., and then now I think they have them in like Prague and Paris and all kinds of cool places. Okay. But the one in L.A. was so cool because they had to deal with Universal's backlot, mm. where you could film on like some of their sets. Like they had like New York Street, and they had like the Jaws set, and you know whatever else that was available at the time, a Western town. Oh you yeah. Know? And they would let you film there for your project for as a student. And it was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And you were how old at this time? I was 14. I was 14. Wow. And I said, I got to go to this thing. And so I begged my parents and uh, they they let me go for a summer. And I did a six-week program there where you shoot. we shot 16-millimeter sync sound film. Oh, wow. Yeah. Old school. Old school. Uh, so and, the, and there was a choice there because they had an acting program and a film program. And it was the choice of which one do I want to go. And I realized then if I went into the acting program, I would not be able to use the sets and I wouldn't be able to make my own thing. And who knows if I'll even get cast in something. Yeah. I might just go there and be doing vocal warm-ups mm-hmm. <laughs> and read, learn how to read monologues and then that's it. And I said, no, I, you know, I'll learn directing and if I really want to, I'll cast myself if I really want to. And, but I ended up not casting myself because uh, I'm not a, an actor. I'm more of like a – I could do something funny on camera maybe, but it's more of a – you know, I'm just more of a guy. I'm a right. guy. Yeah. A guy who can talk. So, I mean, you know, this is an opportunity that a lot of, you know, not many 14-year-olds have, you know, to get this kind of training, uh, to get this kind of support from your parents. Uh, where did that lead? Because, you know, you had four more years of high school, I guess, and then you graduate. And then not long after that, just a couple of years, you're, hey, I'm going to do this YouTube thing. What happened in those ending high school <coughs> You know, did you go to college? Like, what what happened in, in, in that time period? Yes. So, yeah, what happened is, like, all throughout high school. So, I, I I did the New York Film Academy in between the year of middle school to high school. So, okay. in between those years, in that summer, the six weeks, I did this film camp and it changed my life. Because uh, I shot, you know, some 16-millimeter short films. I cast SAG actors as a 14-year-old. Like, I literally, like, cold-called actors and put on a voice at 14. Like, hi, I'm Michael Gallagher from MJG Productions. How are you doing today? Uh, Mr., you know, St. John, yes, uh, we have a role for you that we'd love to have you come in for. Uh, <laughs> it'll be Sunday, August 5th or whatever it was. And so I just, like, had this, like, speech that I wrote down and I just did a radio voice and called actors and got <laughs> and got people and I had a crew and we were all like 14 <laughs> and we made short films. And these these actors, actors show up and they're like, ah, uh, kid, where's the director? Where's the guy I talked to him <laughs> And why am I talking like this? I had a lot of that, yeah. Actually, I had, there's one actor, the first actor I ever hired this guy, Billy St. John, he's great. He was actually in Mr. Deeds, you know that Adam Sandler uh-huh. movie? Yeah. He, um, he was in this like dinner scene where he's like with all these like fancy New York socialites and he writes for the New Yorker. And he's like, you know, they make fun of him and then Adam Sandler beats the crap out of him. It's like a pretty funny scene. <laughs> so he had a couple lines in that Adam Sandler movie. So I saw his headshot and I was like, I got to get this guy because I just saw Mr. Deeds. I was 14. I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever to work with this guy. <laughs> and so I called him up and somehow coaxed him to come out. And he was in my short film. And uh, we and he thought literally I, it wasn't until years later because I cast him and everything that he was like, oh, my God, like I thought you were. I thought you were like 30 years old. <laughs> He's like, I thought you were just like a, like a short, thin guy. Like, <laughs> I just didn't know. I... <laughs> He's like, you were, how old? You were 14? <laughs> What's going on? I mean, it was really funny, but he's the coolest guy. Uh, and I pretty much put him in everything I ever do. But 
so that period really changed my life. And so then when I went back to high school, it was like this, that I was like hooked. It was like crack. I just yeah. smoked crack and I'm hooked hard. My teeth are falling out. I am making movies. Like that right. was what I was going to do. So I was a weird kid where, you know, when I, when we could do a, you know, a book report on something, I'd be like, Hey, can I do my book report on Sid Field's book about storytelling and screenwriting? And they'd be like, Sure. And then I would read a whole book about screenwriting and yeah. do a so report. So you found that you, knowing what you wanted to do at as like a freshman in high school, you were able to kind of gear your high school experience toward your trajectory as a filmmaker. I treated it sweet. like college. Yes, I tried to treat it as like college as the most I can, uh, most I could, because uh, I I just I just couldn't wait. I was so antsy. After so did that you create? Summer. So did you create like a high school opus? <laughs> Uh, did I? No. I, well, you know, I, it was like a ton of short projects is really what it was. I didn't make like a feature film through high school. That would have been cool. It was always my dream to do a feature film, but I never had the, I didn't have the right idea to do a, a full feature. And I, 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 I couldn't sit still to really write like a full 90 yeah. page film. Uh, so at that time it was just tons of shorts, music videos. And then I, you know, I don't know. I just had this like, you know, confidence and courage where I felt like I could get jobs. I was like, I have, I've been to film school at the, I was really film camp, but I've been to film school. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, you know, I know enough about film equipment and either, you know, DP, because I, at the film school, what's cool is you switch off positions with everybody in your Mm -hmm. class. It's like going to film school in a way where you get to DP someone else's project and do sound and gaff and, you know, edit and do everything. So you do every position. So I had a pretty good understanding of everything. And so I just applied that to everything I did making short films. So then I would submit my short films to film festivals. I got in and then I would apply for directing jobs. I got some of them. Like I directed a few commercials, a few music videos when I was 15, 16 years old. I did, I did a commercial uh, that was a, a music video hybrid commercial ad with the band Shanana who played at Woodstock back in the day Whoa. for the PT Cruiser for a local car commercial. <laughs> I don't know, I was, for a local uh, car I, commercial, yeah, man. Uh, sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what was uh, the angle on that? It was They had a song called The Cat and the PT Cruiser, and I did a music video with the band Shanana, and I got like a little crappy crane. I got paid a few thousand dollars, and this is like, you know, 16, and I, you know, directed a whole music video, got my friends to boom and do the whole thing, and... Uh, you know, edited it on Final Cut, which I had, and, you know, and then I did not know, that. like, nobody told me, like, oh, like, what are the specs that you have to go out for for TV, like, all the mm-hmm. the specific uh, export information or any of that, so I just kind of winged it and just acted like I knew what was going on. I had no idea. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, it, and it aired locally. It aired in San Diego. commercial. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's Do you remember great. seeing it on TV? I do. It was very exciting. And then I remember getting calls from like relatives about it. And because I would, you know, my mom would, you know, say, oh, you know, Michael's doing this thing. And then, so, right. No, no, no. Yeah, exactly. Now we make cameos in all of our local commercials. Did you do that? Because uh, I didn't Hitchcock it. No, I read Lincoln. I didn't <laughs> read Lincoln. No. Yeah. <laughs> I, w- I should have. Should have done that. You'd yeah. have more relatives calling you. It would have been weird for like. Were you fit- in the back of that PT Cruiser for a second? It was literally. It was literally all sixty-year-old dudes. So if it was like one fifteen-year-old boy, it would have been a little weird, maybe. Yeah, what, just let the fifteen-year-old boy be the director. Yeah, that'll make a lot more sense. <laughs> was the angle that the entire band can fit into the PT Cruiser because it's kind of like a clown car? I, <laughs> we literally had all the band members in the car. Of course, point, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah no, it, that was there was no angle to the music video. It was just like you know. I figured out, I'd watched enough music videos at that point. I was like, all right, all we got to do is film, shout out, 
in four different locations <laughs> and put them in different positions. <laughs> like I, yeah. I was so nervous going into that shoot. I actually remember, because uh, I remember they had like, for some reason, it was like a really big deal. Like they had like press, because Sean and I hadn't done a music video in like forever. Like they hadn't done anything in a long time. <laughs> They'd just done like concerts. And so they had like press, like they had like news anchors and they had like people on the set like filming us film the thing and then they did like a news segment of it and then wrote articles on it it was a big deal and so you're i remember 15. i remember getting to set yeah I, I i took the train up from san diego to go to la cuz we did half the video in la half in san diego and i took the train up and i had my xl2 <laughs> in my case and then i was with a buddy and i had a you know tripod and literally that's all we brought to this video cuz we were doing an outdoor shoot and we were like oh yeah well you know we'll bounce some light and we'll figure it out <laughs> like it was so ghetto <laughs> and i showed up there's all these press people and shot on <laughs> and they're like um the pa's here yep. he has a tripod and yep. a camera <laughs> so i literally was like oh yeah this is great guys excuse me for just one moment and then i just went away and i like went to the bathroom and i had to like pep talk myself as like a 16 year old and then Got the courage and threw some water in my face and went back out there and said, okay, let's do this. And then I just started, you know, putting on director mode. Killed it. Killed it. Boom. Local TV commercial. <laughs> <laughs> so th was that like the high school highlight? Yeah, I, I, wore that, I wore that thing like a trophy. <laughs> I went around and no, I, I should have. And what from there? Um, yeah, so it was like a lot of that kind of stuff in high school. So then from there, I, uh, I went to LMU uh, for one semester. <laughs> I went for one semester and at the same, you know, when I was going to college, my parents said, you know, we'll help you out for a little bit, but you know, you're really on your own here. Like you got to pay for school. You have to pay for your living expenses, everything, which is, you know, which is great. I actually, I think because it made me say, I want to become financially independent right now. Not because I want to, but, but I actually very, very much really have to. <laughs> right. And well, what did you decide to study there? Because you didn't decide to go to like USC film school or something like that. Oh, I applied everywhere, but no, I did not. Uh, I didn't get into a lot of, I got into Chapman, but I didn't get into their film school. It was very competitive at the time. Okay. So you were trying to get into I a tried film to school. get into a film school. Yeah. I submitted to like NYU and USC and I think, I don't think I submitted to UCLA, but uh, yeah, I got into Santa, I got into UC uh, Santa Cruz and then I got into LMU and Chapman. Those are the three okay. colleges I got in. Because uh, my grades, you know, they weren't that great. But, you know, I because I, I was really spending so much time doing all this filmmaking stuff that I was so not interested in whatever book report on, you know. Yeah. So how did... So how does this get to YouTube? Connect those dots for us. So yeah, to kind of like throw a stone in a pond and skip through a lot of this. Basically, I was one of the first people that was a part of the station, mm -hmm. you know, that YouTube channel, the station. Yeah. I was a behind the scenes person. I was, I was, I, I got hired on by those guys to help direct and write and produce. Who, so did Danny hire videos. you? Or? Yeah, I got hired by Danny okay. and Lisa and Ben. Who, back who in the did day. you know? I knew Lisa Nova from the YouTube live. I spent time with her there. Okay. Was, uh, with Tazon Day. Flash forward, you know, two years or a year and a half. Once station's over, now it's maker. People are trying to make videos. There's this guy, Glasgow Phillips, who used to be a writer on South Park that they brought in to help write sketches and funny things and just kind of come mm -hmm. up with funny stuff. He was hanging around and he, uh, he was like, you know, someone's got to do a movie with all these YouTubers. Someone's got to do something. And uh, I was like, yeah, I, I know. I, I want to do it. We're just doing shorts. I want to do a movie. We got to do this thing. Um, and so he had, had he had this idea of doing a uh, this horror film and using chat roulette at the time. It was a big thing. I didn't and even he, know chat roulette was around back then. Yeah, it was around. It came out in like what 2010, 11? Okay, 2010. No, it was 2010. I think it was that was when it hit. 
that was like that was the summer. I remember yeah, it was so like a big deal. Okay, so he said so, let's build the movie around something like that. Yeah, he was like that would be so cool to do like a you know horror movie like where this killer's you know showing up behind people in a chat roulette and mm. it's random so you don't know who that person is and you know that sounds right. like a scary premise and you're like yeah that is good and so he's like okay so he went away and just wrote this whole movie and it was just like a it was like a conversation it was very conversational at first and then he came back and he was just like I got your movie script here you go and he just sent me this movie script and it was like oh my god this is amazing and then uh, so I collaborate I started collaborating with him he wrote the first draft and then after that we started co-wrote it together like we started coming up with more specific bits to it because I mean he churned the script out in like, a couple weeks I mean, oh wow he was, he was you know he's quite the writer um and so then it became this long process of you know developing this project while doing totally sketch and then uh you know trying to raise money for it and we tried to do the traditional route you know he took it to some studios and got formal meetings and had really fancy water and lemon which is lovely uh and but you know people didn't want you know at that time they weren't ready to take a chance and say oh i don't know if these youtubers are you know a big deal i don't know if they're going to translate to a movie and, and what like, talent was attached at first i imagine no you were th- one no one was attached okay it's just moi. So Me, you myself, and moi. You weren't, a, you weren't able to throw around a Shane Dawson or a Lisa Nova or a DeFranco or any, anybody like that wasn't, wasn't involved early on. I just, I told them that there, I was, because I, I didn't want to just attach people and just and get people's hopes up. Because that's the other thing, like I really, I, I don't like to tell people something until it's real. So I'm never going to say, hey, I got this great project written, like, let's do this thing. And then five years later, I'm like... We're going to get the money. It's going <laughs> to happen. We're going to get you guys back on TV. And it's like, no, I, I would never do that. I would come to you and say, this is real. So yeah. I like to be that kind of guy. So I didn't really approach people, but I had worked, like Shane had you know, said, Michael, I you know, want to work with you from doing all the, um, the station videos. So we became friends. And so I would direct a lot of videos for his channel. And I, I became a director for a lot of other people's channel in addition to my own. So I was known as like, hey, if you're a talent and you need a director, just call me up and I'll come and I'll whip you up a video. And so that I kind of got that reputation. So I had sort of worked with enough YouTubers where I kind of got like, okay, Shane, he's a great actor. Like he, he does this crazy comedy, but he can do anything. Mm-hmm. And I got that intention. And hearing him talk, I knew that he wanted to do more. So there were right. certain people that I was friends with that I was working with that I got the sense that there's more to them than what they're just showing on YouTube. And that if I have the right opportunity with this film, we're going to pull the trigger and we're going to do something great. But how much money did you need to get? That was the thing. It was like we were trying to raise money and just, you know, sell it and do a studio thing and for, you know, six months and it wasn't going well. And I was getting so antsy because we were working on the movie and I said, you know, screw it. I'm going to put in my own money and we're going to make this thing. And I do not have a lot of money, guys. So we got to figure this thing out. So uh, we put it together and basically we did this movie for $200,000. So that that's – it was like every penny I had. I was like, I'm, this is all I've saved up. This is everything. Everything I made from directing. First Chana of all, that's, that's quite a nest egg for you to have that sitting around. So that's <laughs> yeah. And then to be willing to put it all in on this one project, put all the chips on red. <laughs> for <laughs> real. Well, yeah. and and again, back to the uh, the genre switch to say, okay, I'm going to put this nest egg into something that is not kind of what you were raised on and what you had been working on to say, okay, I'm going to do this genre film horror. Like, h- how did you make the transition? Like, when you first read that script, were you like, because uh, I, I know, like, for the scripts that the few scripts, full features that I've read, uh, I, I can read a comedy and I'm like, 
I know when something's funny. We read a drama sometimes, I'm like, I don't know if this is good or not. It's like, I can't. I don't know if this is dramatic right now. Right, exactly, <laughs> you know? Because I know comedy. So when you read the horror uh, genre. I don't know if this is scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. I don't know what kind of music should be this part. I don't know. I think I just, because I, I was so into filmmaking at that time. It, to me, it was like, it didn't matter what genre. Like, I, just want, I was so hungry. I was like, I got to make a movie. Like, I was just, it was in my blood. I was like, I got to do it. And just doing all these shorts, I, you know, I love doing shorts, but I, it was just like something I'd always wanted to do was make mm-hmm. a film. And so whether it was a horror, dramatic movie or, you know, comedy, it, it didn't really matter or musical. I would have done anything at that moment. So this script came along. I saw that it could be done on a low enough budget. And I love, I actually love horror movies. So, and I, and I love them in a way that I'm not like, or I'm like, yeah, I want to see blood and want to see the chainsaw, cut the girl's head off. I'm like, not that guy. You know, like, there's some horror fans that that's all they want to see. They just want to see chainsaws. The gore. Yeah, they're like gore fiends. And I'm not, you know, that's not me. I like, you know, I like the older stuff, like, like Rosemary's Baby or The Shining or, you know, uh, Repulsion. Like, I like all the Roman Polanski old horror movies. They're so scary. Even the tenant, it's like this, this, if you ever watched that, it's the scariest movie ever. Uh, he literally, it's literally about a man going crazy in an apartment after this woman who went crazy there, and all of a sudden he's just like dressing like this woman at the end of the movie, and he's like throwing himself out a window. It's just like, what? <laughs> so your mind melts when you watch that movie. It's like, why is this happening? You're so like you, in a nightmare. So you weren't just a comedy guy, and you were so hungry to make a movie that this was gonna happen. It was and gonna you, happen. There was no doubt in your mind. It's kind of like just, the Shanana. Yeah. Commercial. Hey, I got the opportunity. Got the PT I'm gonna cruiser. kill it. Yeah, exactly. Like it didn't matter what it was. I, I, I've sort of, I've tried to be open to the things that come my way. I've, I have this feeling that like when the universe opens up and like sends you something, there's a reason, you know. And uh, maybe the reason is to say no. But, <laughs> but for the most part, most things that come my way, I find a, I find an in. Like I look at it and I say, oh, like that. I know how to do that. Or I, I maybe if I don't know how to do that right away, I get interested in the idea of that. I want to figure this out. How can this be done? And so you you put the money in. I put the money in. Uh, you start organizing the production. Yep. Yeah, I got uh, this producer, Michael Wormser, who had done some, you know, he had done movies in that budget range before. And he had knew, he knew where we needed to spend the money and where we could get away with not spending the money. Because most movies, you know, a good one, you spend some bucks on. Yeah. Unless you do it really, like, stripped down where it's found footage. You know, and it's just you know your HVX and a couple. But like guys. A, a comparable film to that, to to yours, typically just to give people a point of reference, what the budget would be. I'd say three to five million. Okay. Yeah, that's what I've been told. Like from watching the movie, what most people would spend on a movie like that is you know three to five million. Um, and so it was something that it was you know an exciting challenge, and I love a challenge. Now we, I, I have not seen the movie. Oh. I have seen well, the trailer, I'm... and based on the trailer, I ain't seeing your movie. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to, you know, and I'm not going to apologize for that, because I know like it is scary movies. Really? Oh, you so, have fun. I like you. Oh, well, thank but you. But I don't like scary movies, and I don't care if you've made it. It's called Smiley. Dude. It can't be that scary. It's deceptive. Evidently, you spent a majority of the budget on making that mask scary. <laughs> so how did you make this mask how we make the mask well the more you kind of tell me uh, how you made it the more i'm like oh it's not real yeah <laughs> yeah exactly it's just rubber even though if it I, looks scary as I, all if, get out if i tell you enough about the making of it you'll uh right eh, maybe i you'll might watch can it. watch it yeah you'll red box it uh yeah no it's uh I, and i hope you're not offended by I'm that not, i'm no, just no, being I'm not. honest I, my mom hasn't seen the movie I'm, <laughs> i i just She's i'm scared. scared no uh you yeah, know i i totally understand um 
in a way, I haven't seen the movie, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the uh, the mask was something that, I don't know, it, I'm just a sick person, I guess. But I had this, when we were coming up with the idea, originally it wasn't like a supernatural creature thing. It was more of a guy with a stocking over his face who sort of painted on with like lipstick or a red marker. He'd painted on like X's or a smiley face or something like that. And I just didn't think like, oh, that's not a... If you go see that movie, I'm not scared. That's a guy in a stocking. He got, right. pa- he got a panty on his head. Right. Uh, you know, so I don't know I don't know what it was. But it was somewhere in the time where I was developing it with Glasgow that I had this vision of like, oh, well, what if it's like a skin face and it's a stitched in smile and the smile looks like an emoticon, you know? <laughs> I don't, for some reason that came into my head and then I drew it and I started drawing it and showed it to people. And then I, I did a mock-up in Photoshop and I'd show it to people and they would freak out. And I'm like, this is it. We got something. I knew I was like, if I can literally show a Photoshop picture on my phone to someone and have them, and have them cower in fear and literally shout and scream obscenities in public, uh, I knew I was onto something. So, but I, how was it made? How was it made? It was uh, it was huge, foam was, rubber, an foam act- rubber, an actual man's face. Yeah, <laughs> it was actually the butt of a man. We took a butt. We needed enough skin. <laughs> I didn't know you were involved in, in the production yeah, yeah. of this mask. I, well, I was a consultant. Oh. I said you need to get the butt of a man. You don't, you don't, you don't remember Rhett walking funny from 2011? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I got to carry a big wallet now to kind of even everything out. Because it was just one butt, one yeah, side, exactly. <laughs> one cheek. Uh, okay, sorry. Yeah, no, so, no, so we hired a, you know, a special effects makeup team who did our makeup for the whole movie and uh you know we i showed them the mock-up that i had and they kind of helped figure out how the heck to make this thing and what we did was we got the actor who was going to play smile this guy michael trenor who's a great actor and very selfless because he had to wear this mask where you really couldn't see and you really couldn't breathe in this thing because the eyes were not lined up with human eyes they were too close and the, the, everything was stitched up so well that you could barely breathe and barely see. So he's running around. He's like Ray Charles. Like, he does not know where he is at any moment. Like you we, mean he's a talented musician? He's a very talented black musician. No, he was, uh, no, he's a great guy. And uh, what we'd have to do is set him up on a path and say, okay, you got about 50 yards. <laughs> You're going to be chasing a girl. You got a knife in your hand uh, and action. Good luck. Uh, good luck. God bless. Uh, no, he was a super sport. But um, we had to mold his face, get a mold of his face, and then they created this foam, uh, this foam latex mask over over his face. Like they did the molding, and then they uh, they, they created this this great mask. This guy George Costanza and Greg McDougal. They they just did it in their space in the valley. George have... Costanza. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I didn't know a, char- a character could actually have a real life position. That's interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, okay, so that it's one feat to make a movie for $200,000. Sorry, did I say George Costanza? I meant Steve Costanza. Oh. <laughs> In case he listens. No, I've been watching Seinfeld. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was like, George, okay. Um, yeah, George Costanza. So that's quite an accomplishment, making a, a movie for that budget. But then you, you accomplish something that very few people who do low-budget movies accomplish. You actually got theatrical distribution. How did that happen? We did, yes. Uh, how did that happen? Basically, made the movie, put the trailer on the YouTubes, uh, because it had Mr. Shane Dawson, Mr. Toby Turner, Mr. Daystorm Power, and Totally Sketch. We all talked about it the first week that the so trailer went Nikki up. Nikki is in it, right? And Nikki Limo, Steve Green, yeah. Jason Horton, uh, Bree Esrig, uh, Shauna Malcolm, uh, I'm leaving out somebody. 
Richard Ryan. I can hear my heartbeat. <laughs> George uh, Costanza. George Costanza. George Costanza's in it. Jay, yeah, Jerry yeah. Seinfeld. Um, Elaine. Uh, yeah, so everybody's in it. And, and everybody pushed to it the first week from their YouTube channels. They all talked about it or they had a link in their uh, annotations to say, hey, we're in a movie. Check out the trailer. And so in the first three days, it got a million views. Got on the homepage. It just started like it was a snowball effect. And once it kind of took off. And I remember that. It just. I took notice then. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of kept going. It was weird. After that first week, it literally would get 100,000 views a day. 50 it, to 100,000 And as, you know, as an observer, it was, okay, YouTubers in a movie. Okay. Yeah. Roll the eyes. I know what this is about to be. And then, um, then I watch it and it's like, whoa, there's that dude who's the actor who I recognize from a lot of stuff with the voice and he's awesome and whoa did you see that I hope that mask is not real a real a butt, real man's butt. <laughs> I'm not watching this movie this is for reals and it so it, it it you know so you're saying you got all these views you got all this buzz whoa, whoa, whoa a million in a week kind of a thing yeah and it took but it but it wasn't you know that that was just marketing but that the trailer as a product was impressive mm. and still is. Thank you. Now, yeah, I think the, uh, I think the internet kind of cocked its head to the side and said, what is this thing? Because there's all these YouTubers in it. It's on totally sketches channel who does comedy and there's real actors in there. And is this a parody? Is this a real movie? It seems real, but when's it coming out? And it's just like, what? It's just, there's so many questions. I and think. what was your, what was your answer to those questions at the time? What, what was the plan? Radio silence. Uh, no, I, you know, at that time we, we were still, we had just shot that we shot the film in 2011, the summer and put that trailer out in November, 2011. And just said, I knew it was going to come out next year. I thought it was going to be out by the summer or something. Um, but we were still editing. We didn't even have the finished movie. Yeah. And we were just like, let's just put the trailer out and see what happens. What's the worst that can happen? Right. The worst thing that happens is nobody likes it. Okay, we'll fix it later. And then it'll just, nobody will know. Um, but it just kind of took off. And then it became this weird sort of urban legend thing that people were wondering what it was. And it was go- getting passed around. And um, So it, it, it kind of caught us off guard. And it changed our whole perspective. Because originally, I knew the very minimum i could make this movie release it like say on itunes and you know just kind of put it on a website for five bucks to do a louis ck kind of thing and just give it to the people and just say here you go here's a movie i knew that we could just do that and that there would be some people that would want to watch it just because of you know it's so weird and random and there's you know some people in it that you'd watch on youtube um so i knew at the very minimum i could do that uh but once this trailer took off we just started getting all this interest from people in Hollywood. And so we started doing all these meetings with all these big studios where we just had the trailer and we were editing the movie. And they were like, we want to see this movie. We want to distribute this movie. We like met with you know Paramount and Relativity and all these big studios that were very interested. And they, we were like, oh, my God, we better make a good movie. We better, like, now the pressure's on. Like, all of a sudden, we had this pressure. We didn't realize, like, oh, my God, now we got to make this thing actually good. Uh, and so... Uh, during that process, we would edit it and put it together. And what we'd find is we'd show it to the studios and they'd really like it. Like we had these great meetings and like they had, like we had four or five screenings at Paramount. Like they just kept wanting to see it. Like more, they got more and more people to come see it each time. And the final consensus for them was, you know, if you, you know, it, it's sort of in the middle between a $20 million movie and like a, you know, $1 million movie. And we don't release movies that don't look like $20 million movies. And then we just don't have that in our system. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, oh, 
oh, and it's like, but we like it. We really like it. We we see all the potential. We see everything. But yeah, we just don't have that system set up. So and it was just like this weird thing where it was like, oh, that's flattering, but oh, you're not going to release the movie. Okay. So then we kind of had that experience with a few of the different studios. And then we realized like, oh, well, there's interest, but nobody wants to pull the trigger. So let's just do it the same way that we made the movie where I just funded it, where let's let's just try and get it in theaters ourselves. Let's just do that. So we went to AMC directly, went oh, to AMC wow. theaters. And they had this program called AMC Independent. I still have it, where uh, basically they will, if they like the movie, they'll distribute it in their theaters for free. But you have to bring the people. You have to bring the, you know, have to pay for the marketing and you have to mm-hmm. do, handle all the stuff, deliver the movie. But they will give you the theater space and they'll split the profits of whatever you make in the movie theater for, you know. And how many free. screens are we talking about? Uh, we did 28, 28 screens. Yeah. So, and that was all over the U.S. So, okay, all over yep. major cities, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so we, we went in and showed them the movie and they loved it. And it was literally like we had all these meetings at all these studios. It took months. It was just like months of meetings and meetings. We did one meeting with AMC. They watched the movie the next time and they said, how many theaters do you guys want? And it was literally just like, what? And they just, they were in. They were just in on the deal. They were like, we want this. We want to put it out. So uh, then it was like, yeah, okay, well, we want it out in October. We want it October 11th. Yeah, let's do that. And like, okay, great. And then it was like, oh, my God, that's in four months. We have to yeah. tell everybody about this movie. And so then we did our darndest to do this marketing push to try and get the word out with, like, no budget to to tell people about this movie, which I highly advise to have some money if you're going to put a movie in theaters to tell people about it because it's very expensive. Now, and at some point throughout this process, uh, I don't know if this was after the release or during the ramp up to it, uh, there was a situation where all of a sudden a lot of personal information from people involved in the film, including you, was put out there online. And uh, Death threats? Death threats. Death threats. Give us the download on and this. Tell us what happened with that. Oh, God, I'm just reliving. It's like living in Smiley. Uh, so, yes. So what happened was— And is this the type of thing that, like, you've moved on and you're like, oh, I've got to reaccess this. This I'm is not. This is, a, this is a painful part of my life kind of a thing? No, it's—yeah, uh, it, I mean, because Smiley in general was, like, you know, two and a half years of my life. Like, it was such a big part of just—it was, like, birthing this thing. It was, yeah. like, having a two—it was, like, being pregnant for two years and then, like, have, and then raising—like, leaving the baby, like, teaching the baby how to crawl and then kind of abandoning it. After that, it's a weird process. Um, but no, it's not painful to talk about. But uh, basically what happened was in the film, we talk about 4chan. We talk about the dark side of the internet and some of the people that do bad things. Because, you know, one of the things that's it's in the movie is, um, you know, this idea that this theme of cyberbullying. And we sort of take it to the extreme in the horror movie sense of what happens if some someone is cyberbullied to the nth degree. And... Um, and so we kind of took some real life things like 4chan and, and Anonymous and, and certain groups and, and talked about them. And some of the characters in the movie have opinions about these groups. And so once the word got out from like some early screenings, we did some screenings for press. I think someone like a blogger or something who was, you know, post on 4chan, they got really upset about how we talked about it in the movie and like sh- explained all the scenes that we talked about online and then 4chan like revolted against the movie and did like what they call a raid where they got all our information. It was really attacked at me and my family, but uh, they came after the cast, the crew, me, 
uh, like my my parents, my cousins, like just you know, they like made death threats to my dog. It was very bizarre. In what way? Well, in the way that they got my phone number, they got my address, they would send things, they called like nonstop text messages, they de- like saying that they're going to kill me, they're going to murder me, that you know everyone's going to die, you know that kind of fun stuff. Uh, <laughs> it's just, like you'll never see your family again. Um, just a lot of that. Like it's basically like twelve-year-old kids just pranking, but they just have a you know more sick sense of humor than say the three of us. And you know that. I mean, you're familiar enough with the internet to know that. Oh, that, I know they're children. That's what it is. But at the same time, it only takes one exactly person to be to act on. You know, there's yep. there's this. It's scary. Well, the uh, at the same time, the the shooting that happened in the movie theater was pretty recent at the Dark Knight, you know, like there was that whole mm-hmm. movie shooting uh, that happened at the Dark Knight Rises screen. I think it was, this, I think it was around that time. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was like, uh, everyone was kind of, you know, there were like some people out there doing some crazy things. And so I was trying to explain to everybody who was getting attacked, like, these are kids, like, this is not a big deal. Like this is, and in some ways it's kind of funny, uh, but nobody took it funny other than me. Uh, I think just because I had spent so much time on the internet, I kind of had a better idea of what 4chan was and that they're more about just like, you know, screwing with people and just like having fun. Just like, they, you know, in the movie, we talk about like, I did it for the lulls, like doing things for laughs in kind of a sadistic way. And that's what they're doing. They're just like death, giving a death threat to someone is something really casual. They do it every day. And so I didn't, I, I wasn't really, really worried for my life, but my girlfriend was, my parents, my family, like the cast, the crew, everybody freaked out. And it was, it was really a, a weird thing because we had all these plans to do Q&As and meetups at lots of theaters and, and make it an event, you know, make mm-hmm. this thing like a really, you know, come out and see the movie, meet with us and hang out and we'll have a great time. But then AMC got word, you know, worried that you know, someone might die and it was one of the screenings of Smiley, which would be terrible. Um, and so it just kind of, you know, it was a weird time. It happened two weeks right before the movie was coming out. And this is the time where I'm, you know, struggling to, you know, get billboards and Times Square and all these places for like no money, like trying to pull favors. But in an ironic sense, I mean, we saw the the report on the Today Show. Mm. You, all of a sudden you get a national audience where you can sit down with Shane and kind of answer some questions about it. So, I mean, in, uh, no one wants to go through death threats uh, to get to that point, but did it end up ultimately raising the profile of the film? Well, it was a bummer because, you know, like in releasing a film is something I learned that so much of it comes from your PR company and having a good company that can get you on the right, you know, having a publicist that can get you on the right talk shows and the right interviews and all that. And once this story changed and it became a news story, they couldn't go and get the same kind of entertainment. Like we couldn't get Shane on like say Jimmy Kimmel because it was a news story. It was too like serious. Mm. So to mix and match a serious news story with, hey, come see my movie, you know, I'm hobnobbing with Jimmy Kimmel. It was like a weird messaging thing and they couldn't do both. And so once we started talking about it as a news story, all of a sudden we couldn't be, you know, treated in the same way that like most movies get released where you go on talk shows and do a lot of interviews and all that. It was just kind of stilted. So it was just, you know, I think it helped in a way because it created a mystique of like, oh, this is a really dangerous movie. Uh, it just became like, you know, in this uh, this kind of dark way, uh, this like for it's like forbidden fruit, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in the same way, like we couldn't really get out there in the traditional way and just, you know, tell people about the movie because like every other movie that comes out, you get a blitz uh, of publicity. 
you know, for weeks, the few weeks leading up, go see the movie, go see the movie, go see the movie. Right. So hopefully people go see it. So that was the, you know, that, that was the tricky thing. I, I wish in hindsight that, you know, maybe 4chan was a little nicer to us and right. we could have gone out there. Well, how, how did it do? Uh, you know, did you, did you make that investment back or? Oh yeah, baby. I drove here. I came in here in a helicopter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I made the money back, but you know, it was a combination. It wasn't just the movie, you know, what it made in the movie theaters. I think it was a slow process of you know, having come out in different countries and having come out on Showtime and Redbox and, you know, Netflix and all these things. So, right. Uh, you've already really, you're one of the first. I mean, I think it's, it's pretty awesome to say I'm one of the first uh, guys that came up through YouTube and made a feature film. You know, it's, it, you know, now it's, we've got Camp Dakota, Julian Smith earlier this year on Ear Biscuits announced that he was going to start working on a film. I can't wait for that. And I, you know, and we, we can't either. <laughs> and, uh, we don't have any specific things in the works, but we aspire to make feature films. Uh, I think that this is a really exciting time. Where do you think, uh, do you think this is going to become a thing? It's just like, yeah, people who come up through YouTube, who have an audience, they're going to start distributing feature films amongst their audience and, uh, do you think there's more to follow? Oh yeah, I would hope so. I think you know, it's like it's just more of a good thing. It's like yeah. you know, Rhett and Link. You guys make amazing videos. To think that oh, you guys would have a Rhett and Link movie that sounds incredible. You know, if I'm a fan of you guys, I want to watch your movie, and I'm gonna right. pay a million dollars to watch that movie <laughs> per person. Per person, <laughs> we'll take a down payment tonight. You just need three people to watch it, and you're good <laughs> for life. For it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just increase the ticket price. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, so I'm, I'm super excited about the, the prospects of that. And, you know, and it's weird because, you know, when the movie, when Smiley came out, I was actually 23. When I made it, I was 22. Yeah. I was 22 years old when I made this movie and I thought of it and helped write it when I was 21. So I was so young when I made it. And then, and then it released the year, it released when I was 23, but I was turning 24 in December. So I'm kind of like a, you know, people get my date wrong or whatever, right. how old I am. So it's like, I was so young when I made that. I'm so excited to just like keep making things yeah. and keep it all going, get the train going, you know. But right. it's, you know, it just takes way longer than a YouTube video. That's the only thing. So hopefully we'll see a ton of them, uh, a ton of good, interesting movies, different movies too. Like that's yeah. the cool thing about Camp Dakota. So different in a way, than what you see from Grace or Hannah Hart or, or Mamrie from their channels. Right. Well, it's been a pleasure having you. We're looking forward to the next project, the next YouTube video, and the next feature film. Thanks, guys. I can't wait to see your movie. And there it was, our Ear Biscuit with Michael Gallagher of Totally Sketch. And that's his Twitter handle. Let him know what you think about uh, his ear biscuit, twitter.com slash totally sketch. One of the things that uh, really struck me from his story was how obviously starting at such a young age, getting director gigs at like 14 years old, directing commercials and uh, casting actors by cold calling them and using a Radio confident voice. voice. Um, you know, where, where he talks about going into the bathroom and like splashing cold water on his face. And saying, "Okay, you can you can do this. You need to put your game face on." And then he comes back out and he just does it. You know, this there's a level of confidence required to make it in entertainment that is at times you just have to you have to conjure it or even fake it to say, oh, "Yeah, I can do this. I don't feel like I can do it, but I'm going to act on the the bit of confidence that I have, and I'm going to figure it out." And that creates more confidence. I'm going to be the 15 year old kid directing. Shanana. 
I mean, that's a just that's a phenomenal story. I mean, he is a he's not a dramatic guy. You know, he doesn't sensationalize things. So I think it can be easy to miss mm-hmm. the significance of 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 some of those details of his story that he got started at such an early age. He did these things as such a young guy, and that's what translates into being potentially the first YouTuber to have a have a theatrically released movie. Well, I think a lot of people. Uh, me being one of those, by the way, not knowing, you know, we, we've met Michael and we were familiar with his work, but we didn't know him too well. And I didn't know him well enough to know the behind the scenes of, you know, that was all new information to me, like how that got made. Yeah. And I think, you know, you see the trailer and you're like, okay, yeah, it's, you know, some somebody at some movie studio somewhere thought it would be a good idea to put a bunch of YouTubers in a movie to kind of get people to go watch it. And they got a, a, an actor here, an actor there, and they put their money behind it. I think that's how I always assumed it came together, especially because of the timing of it being 2012, which is still re- really early in the process of translating a YouTuber into something like that. Mm-hmm. But to know that it was uh, just... He and another guy. His tenacity at every turn, even, you know, his own money. Right, yeah, and then saying, no, we're going to make this happen. It's pretty inspirational. And then to get it in theaters after going through all those meetings, saying, you know what, I'm just going to, we're just going to do this. We're going to find another way. Uh, it's it's a great story. Does it make you want to make a horror movie? Because that's what I hear, that's what I hear in your voice. It makes me want to make a movie. I mean, we already have that desire, but it, you know, it no, just, but I'm saying, it fuels the fire, but not a horror movie, let's no. Do, let's do one with a skin face. I, you know, uh, no. No. How about uh, just a face on a butt? <laughs> no, I mean, we can just use my face. How's that? Okay, well, that's... If it, you know... I if, could say it that might was be scary. scary. In your face. We'll also use your face. And it's not a horror. It's not a horror, mm-hmm. no. It's an epic adventure. Yeah. And let's throw some music D- in Dramatic. There. It's dramatic. It's dramatic. There will, be, there will be tears shed. We will be, the two of us will be crying throughout. And probably muddy. <laughs> we should be muddy at some point. You know what we should do? We should just be Lewis and Clark. Really? We got to get a Sacagawea. Do they both make it? Because. Hopefully not. Hopefully they both die because. No, no, no. The- don't, don't spoil it. Don't spoil the movie that we haven't come up with yet. Okay. I guess you kind of have to spoil it in order for us to come up with it. But we're not going to share that with you, but we are going to thank you for listening. I- I'm sure if you have ideas for a movie, you'll let us know <laughs> on Twitter do. and Facebook. And, you know, we will read, we will just pour over your ideas for what movie we should make. And let us know what you think about Ear Biscuits. Uh, you know, it helps us a lot when you leave a review and a rating on iTunes, when you leave us a comment on SoundCloud. It also helps our show when you support our sponsor, Squarespace. Everything you need to create an exceptional website is right at Squarespace. Remember, for a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, go to squarespace.com and use offer code R&L. R-A-N-D-L. Thanks to Squarespace and thanks to you for taking this biscuit and just munching on it with your ears? Question mark? 